reflecting uh, a week or so ago with a couple of staff members, a memory early from ministry. Um, Mary and I pastored for a couple of years in a small town in South Carolina before God called us into itinerant evangelism. And after two years in ministry, we basically just stepped away from a salary and kind of stepped off a cliff of faith and said, we're going to trust the Lord uh, wherever he leads. And particularly, it was sort of focused on student ministry, on youth. Our, our sort of ministry logo was an old dream for a new generation. God's dream is as old as time, but as relevant, as new as, as, as right now, wherever you are. And just kind of letting students see that God had a dream for their lives. And the first place that I was going to speak was in Prattville, Alabama. And uh, this was a youth weekend, right, a Friday, Saturday. This is 1984, just to get some perspective here. So before we had GPS or anything like that, we finally wound up. And all the way driving down there from North Carolina to Prattville, Alabama, man, there was this excitement, this expectation. I mean, Marion has said, man, I'm with you. I'm partnering with you. We're stepping away from what little security there was in the church. We were at a small church to this complete faith, and man, this journey of faith. And, I mean, you know, she's. We had. I had visions of the launch of the new Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and all these great things that were going to happen, and this was the first kind of confirmation of that. So we get down to, to Prattville, and we try to start finding this church. And again, back before GPS or any of those other kind of things. Finally, the backside of the desert, at the end of nowhere, at the end of the road, down a dirt road, we find the church, our first event in itinerant ministry. It was literally a little cinder, a little cinder block building. I mean, and the sign out front they had attached cardboard to the front, and with marker, magic marker, had written, Youth Revival Evangelist Hank Williams. I stopped there for a moment, looked at Mary, and said, well, I told you I'd take you to the top. <laughs> Congratulations. I mean, this is the first event in this, what would be a 20-year journey. So we pull in, and we introduce ourselves to the pastor, Reverend and Mrs. Strong. They're in their late 80s. They've been at this church over 50 years. It's the only church they'd ever pastored. They had, in the process of time, uh, adopted a special needs, now adult child in his late 60s, maybe early 70s, because his parents had died, and they had raised him, and it was huge care and, and a commitment on their part, and they had brought him into their house and raised him. And so we all went in for dinner before the first service on that Friday evening, and look, I'm just being very candid. This was, again, our first, all these expectations, all this excitement, and we sit down at the table, and roaches are crawling across the table. And around the counters, I mean, the places that they don't—they're not aware of what's happening. And I'm looking at Marianne. I'm—we're trying to just give as much of a, a gracious and kind face as we can. But I'm thinking to myself, she's over there sitting. What in the world have you got me into? And can we still go back to the church? I mean, it was a little unsettling. So uh, we go to the first service Friday night, right? And keep in mind, I, I, so I'm Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I have four sermons. I don't have any plan B, no alternative, no uh, resource of sermons from just pull one out in the minutes, moment's notice. And I have an order of which I'm going to preach this youth weekend. And I, so Friday night, I'm going to go strong. I'm going to come out bold. It's my first sermon ever in our ministry. I'm going to speak to the students tonight about dealing with sexual temptation. Go big or go home. So I'm excited. I'm sitting on the platform. I'm waiting for the crowds to arrive, the masses of people to throng to the building. And when it was time to start, and a little after time to start, the crowd had arrived. 17 people. It's not that you have 17 people. It was 17 senior 
adults. You can't make this up. I'm not kidding. We were the youngest by far. There was not a single student. I was 25. She was 22. And I mean, you know, I felt like I was preaching to her the whole night. But I mean, I, I, didn't, I had no plan B. I had only a sermon about how to deal with sexual temptation. Man, they were enthusiastic. They were amening me the whole night. They were on board. Coming up after, shaking my hand. Love that message. Great message, Pastor. Really spoke to me. I went to the pastor after the service. Seriously, it's happened. First place, I'm thinking, okay, God, you got a sense of humor, Coach. You have thrown me into some place. I am clueless. And I looked at the pastor after and said, Reverend Strong, I thought this was a youth weekend. He said, it is, with his enthusiasm. I said, where are the youth? He said, that's why we brought you here. We're going to go get them. I'm like, hello? What? Seriously? Next morning, Saturday morning, Mr. Strong was up, ready to go, has a round safari hat on. I'm 25. He, says, he said, Brother Hank, come on, go with me. He has on, you don't even know what this is, most of you, an old mimeograph machine run off on three by five index cards with lines on them, smudged ink sideways on this, this, this promo. We're going out to the businesses that are open on Saturday morning and to homes, he and I, and we're handing these out saying, we want to invite you to our youth revival. This is Evangelist Hank Williams. I am so embarrassed. But I love him. You know, I love his spirit. We're going to get him. And I'm serious. In that, pro that morning, he pulls out in front of this car. He, had, he was not aware. He, he was hard of hearing. He was looking for a road. He was trying to figure And he slams on the brakes. And I hear this screeching sound. I mean, I hear brakes. I, this, this person is laying on the horn. And I'm bracing myself in the car because I'm thinking he's going to die. They're going to plow on the back of us. And I'm, I'm, this is a near-death experience. He has no clue what's happening. I just finally ease up to turn around look over my shoulder. And this woman is saying things and doing things that... I mean, it's really bad, and, and yet he's, he has no clue. He never heard the horn. He never knew she was behind him. Is that the road I'm supposed to turn around? Now? And in that moment, I confess, in that moment, I realized this is what people feel like when they ride with me right here. This is, this is the experience. So, I, Lord, let me feel that, experience that, just to appreciate what you go through when you ride with me. Fortunately, a church from across town heard that we were there, and they brought 34 students Saturday night, and then Sunday morning and Sunday night, and we had a lot of students get saved, and some called into ministry, and it wound up being an amazing weekend. But I realized as we were leaving that day, that Sunday evening, that God didn't bring us to Prattville for what we could do. He, he brought us here to show us a beautiful picture of surrender, of surrendered life, of sacrifice. Man, the more time I spent, we spent with that precious couple. We thought, man, 50 plus years, they have been so sacrificial. They have served this community. They've served these people. They've adopted family members. Where whatever it takes, man, they have poured out their lives in the lives of these people. And it was like Lord sent us there to see this is what real surrender looks like. This is what sacrifice looks like. And, and before we left, that Sunday evening, and, and look, it was the first paycheck we had in six weeks. We needed it. It wasn't been probably $300, but we just felt compelled. We signed the check back over to them and said, look, on one stipulation, please do something for yourself. Because they, they just never did anything for themselves. They were always about other people. And it didn't matter who it was in the community. And we drove away from there saying, God, this is, this is such an amazing, beautiful picture of surrender. Help us to follow in the example of the Strongs. 
and learn to live our lives in fresh and full surrender to you and be willing to sacrificially serve you as an offering of praise with our lives. And we've reflected back on them over the years on a number of occasions. And I want you to see this morning, we looked last week at as we as a church are going to be for Boiling Springs, if we're going to be for this community, can I just say to you this morning what I want you to really experience is in order for that to happen, you and I as children of God, as joint heirs of Jesus Christ, uh, as those who are saved, we're going to have to live surrendered lives. If we're going to be for Boiling Springs, we've got to live surrendered lives. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. As really this is what Paul is talking about. I want you to see what it means to live a surrender life. First of all, if we're going to be four boiling springs, we have, have first of all, got to realize that Jesus is, was first for us. He was first for us and for us knowing him. That's why Paul says there in chapter 12 of Romans, the first word is therefore. He says, therefore, I urge you, there I implore you, I plead with you. Therefore, I beseech you. It's not a word we use today. Hey, I beseech you. We say, I encourage you. I, I plead with you, he says. In view of, by God's mercies, in light of God's mercies. So let me just say this. The word therefore means that for the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, which Paul is primarily <coughs> writing to the church at Corinth, and probably more often th than the Gentile Christians there. There were Jewish Christians, and he was addressing them as well. But really, this was written to the Gentile Christians. It was written to us. He says, listen, for, for 11 chapters, he has spoken, he's expounded about the mercies of God. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We say there in chapter 10, uh, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches. For all who call on him, forever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so for 11 chapters, Paul has been saying, Look at how beautiful God's mercy is. Look at how amazing his love is. Look at God's forgiveness, his grace. He has just expounded on the beauty of the gospel and of the mercies of God for 11 chapters. And so what he says is, therefore, in view of all of the mercies of God that you have received, that you have come to know him through Jesus Christ as your Savior, in view of all that he's done for you and in me, this ought to, therefore, this ought to, it's the only reasonable thing, this ought to be the response. And so the last five chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is basically going to expound on this is how we should respond in view of the mercies of God. Can I ask you something? When's the last time you just sat for a while and just reflected on the mercies of God over the course of your life? I don't have any doubt that if we were to have testimony time this morning and we were really honest about that, it would go on forever how God has been merciful at all those intersections, all those moments in so many ways in your daily life, in, in your relational life, in your work life, in your personal, so many ways that God has been so merciful to you. And the only hope we have of being for others is to first of all know and experience that Jesus is for us. He's for us knowing him first and foremost and that he desires as well to, to share that mercy to share, share, shine that mercy and that grace on the world around us. He's for Boiling Springs, and he wants them to know him. But not only does he want us to know him, but secondly, Paul says, listen, therefore, in view of God's great mercy, that we would know him, but also that we would know his will. Look what it says in the second part of verse 2. So that we should respond to Jesus in this way, 
so that, here's the result of, of presenting our lives to him, so that you may know what God's will is. And then he uses three adjectives to describe the will of God. And, and we so often confuse and misunderstand God's posture toward us and his desire. He is for you. He says, so that you and I may know, may prove, may come to experience, may lean into and live what his good will is. Do you know God's will for your life is good? His plans, remember, in Jeremiah are good for you. He's a good God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. He has good plans for you. He says, secondly, that you may know his acceptable plan. You know what that means? That means that you will accept it gladly. You will enjoy it. That God, doing God's will, living the life that God wants you to live every day by presenting your life to him, will bring fulfillment and meaning and purpose to your life like nothing else possibly can. Now, nothing about that word acceptance, acceptable means easy. His will is easy or without conflict or challenge. And we've talked about persecution. The world's going to hate us if we radically live our lives for Jesus Christ. But the surrendered life is a life that we will find the joy and the meaning and the fulfillment of God's blessing in our lives. It's acceptable. We'll love it. And then he says, his will is perfect. I think a better word is complete. Meaning from the moment you present yourself and surrender to Jesus, he is going to walk with you. He's going to be faithful to you. He's going to lead and guide and direct you all the way till you see him face to face through every season, every twist and turn, every situation, everything you go through, that he is going to be present with you. He is going to be there for you. His plans are not partial. They're not, they're not uh, up until this point and then you're on your own. He says, man, I am for you and I have a plan for you that will carry you from the moment you trust in me all of your life and even into eternity. And so he wants us to know his will for our lives. And so if we want to know, if we want to be for Bowling Springs, we first of all have to know that Jesus is for us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know his will for our lives. But the second thing, and really where I want to go in verse 1 here is, if we're going to be for Bowling Springs, we have to be for Jesus. And what that looks like is what Paul is saying, therefore, in light of this, it's only reasonable, it's the only logical response. The word there is logical. Our word for logical. It only makes sense that given who Jesus is and all he has done for us, there's only one response that makes any sense for us so that we may know his good, acceptable, and complete will is that we would, first of all, if we're going to be for Bowling Springs, we have to be for Jesus, and that means living a surrendered life. So he says, I beseech you, I urge you, I plead with you, brethren, brothers and sisters, and speaking to believers, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual act of worship. It's your spiritual service of worship. That word present is a priestly word. It reflects on uh, they would have had in mind the Old Testament priest when they would go into the, to the Holy of Holies or they'd go to present a, a, a sacrifice on the altar of God. They would present that sacrifice. Now, listen, the sacrifices they would present would be dead. And they would pour the blood or they would offer the sacrifice up on the altar. And Paul says that what Jesus wants of us to present to him every day is not a dead sacrifice, but our, ourselves living in full surrender. He wants us to be alive in Jesus Christ, dead to ourselves, yes, but alive by the power of the Holy Spirit as we present ourselves in full surrender to him each day. He said, present your bodies 
the idea there is that we present our whole being. Yes, our physical bodies, that we, but, but we present ourselves. And he said, listen, this is your spiritual act of worship. See, I, I love what A.W. Tozer said. Listen, he said, if you're not worshiping the Lord seven days a week, you can't worship him one day a week. We can't just come in here. Yes, it's corporate worship. But if you're not worshiping the Lord with your life daily, then you really can't come in here and worship him on Sunday. It, worship is more than just singing songs and having this time of corporate worship. It is a lifestyle of surrender, presenting ourselves to him each and every day, open-handed and open-hearted, and saying, Lord, today, it's present tense that we're presenting. It's pre- it means every day. It means right now. It means moment by moment. It means that I'm living, not perfectly, but a life that is fully yielded and surrendered to Jesus, that as much as I know how, I'm continually offering myself in surrender to him. And it's an amazing story of how they catch monkeys in Africa, at least one way that they do that, is they drill a hole in a coconut and they put a piece of fruit up in that hole and the monkey comes and he sees or smells that fruit and he puts his hand that's relaxed in that coconut, but then he grabs a hold of that piece of fruit, that banana or whatever. And then he tries to pull it out. But as long as he's grasping a hold of that banana or that piece of fruit, his hand won't fit back out. He could easily get his hand out if he would just let go of what it is he's holding on to. He could slide out, but he can't. He is now so intoxicated, so desiring that piece of fruit that he cannot get his hand out of the coconut. They tie that or the rope around the base of the tree, and then they just walk up casually and put a net over the monkey, and they trap him easily. He's trapped. And I wonder how many of us this morning are like that as Christians we come to Jesus on Sunday. Lord Jesus, I present myself to you. And then, oh, what's that? That's beautiful. Oh, what is that? That looks good. And we get our hand. Oh, I want that so bad. That's, oh, Jesus, I want to come rededicate my, I, I represent myself to you, Lord. And, oh, what a, look, look at that. That's amazing. And we're constantly pulled away and holding on to and grasping the things of this world. And we're not living surrendered lives because we, we continue to hold on to relationships or other things. Now, listen. He wants us to surrender our lives to him every day, every moment of the day. Not so he can take things away from us. He doesn't want you to give your family to him and surrender so that he can jerk your family away from you. No, he wants you to surrender to him so he can glorify himself through your family. He doesn't want you to bring your job and, and, and so he can take your job away. He wants to glorify himself through your job, through you. He has these things that he's blessed your life. It's not that he wants them and he, he's jealous and he, he doesn't desire that you have any blessings. Now, idols, he demands, if you love this thing more than me or as much as me, man, it's keeping you from experiencing my blessing, my good and acceptable and complete will. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that you're here this morning and part of it, I want to live for you, Lord, I really want but you're holding on to something in your, I mean, it's knuckles white, and you're just not willing to let go of it. And until you let go of that open-handed, you can't be free from that. And it's keeping you from living a surrendered life. And the joy of knowing his good and acceptable and complete will for your life. It's limiting you. It's affecting your sense of, of freedom and joy and blessing in the life that God has for you. The surrendered life means to present your body. It also means to present your mind. Look what he says in verse 2. Don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of the world's thinking, but be transformed, metamorphosis, be changed. And again, it's present tense, daily, 
moment by moment, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by presenting your mind to Jesus every day, new and fresh, by thinking through his word, meditating on his word, thinking and praying and spending time in his presence so that you're not thinking and focused on the things of the world. They're not controlling the world systems, not controlling your thoughts, but the Holy Spirit is. And so it literally means, a surrender life means present your body every day to Jesus and say, this is the day you've made. I rejoice and I'm glad in it. My life is yours today. Do with it what you will. It means presenting your mind. Uh, we, we think on the things that are of the Lord. Think on the things that are pure, the things that are of above, not the things below. Have renewed thinking, refreshed thinking, transformed thinking increasingly as we focus our minds on him. It's still legal in some states. Um, Greyhound dog races. In Florida, I think it still is. I, I remember hearing about a, a dog race, in, a greyhound race in Florida, and they have this mechanical rabbit. When the bell sounds, this rabbit, the doors open up, and this mechanical rabbit, rabbit runs around the inside of the track, and the greyhounds chase it all the way around until one of them wins. On this particular race, this mechanical rabbit got around the first turn and exploded. Exploded, man. I mean, into pieces, just a puff or two of smoke and a few pieces of hair on that mechanical rabbit. It's all that was left. It was dead right there. The greyhounds freaked out. They didn't know what to do. Some of them just lay down on the track like it's over. Done. <laughs> One of the greyhounds, he, kept, he started chasing his tail and running in circles. He was still racing, but he was chasing his own tail. The rest of the greyhound dogs were just barking at that mechanical rabbit, those few fluffs of hair and the puffs of smoke. They just stood there barking at it. Here's let me tell you what none of them did. Not a single dog. Finish the race. I wonder how many of us, Jesus said, I've got this race. I've got this plan. My will is good, acceptable, it's complete. It's purposeful. It's meaningful. It's deep. It's joyful. It's a blessing. It's incredible. And it's yours. I've created you for it. I want you to know it, to prove it, to experience it. But we're chasing mechanical rabbits, things of the world. Silly things that have got our, our thinking and our time and that dwell on, that we, we, we allow our, 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 our thoughts to be consumed with all these things of the world. And we're not really living a life of surrender. And because of that, man, we're stopped dead in our tracks because of some mechanical rabbit that is, is nothing but dust, rust, really will never contribute anything of, of value to our life. Paul says, it's only logical for your sakes. I'm not doing God a favor. It only makes sense in light of his mercies that we present our bodies every day to him in fresh surrender, that we present our minds to him every day in fresh surrender and say, Lord, this is your day. This is my life is yours. What do you want me to do with it today? And here's what he says. So that here's the reason. Not so that God can say, ha, 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 I'm lording it over you. I've got the big fist in the air. I, I'm the one that's, that's making you miserable. No, why? Why does God want you and I to present ourselves to him? So that we can know his good and acceptable and complete perfect plan for our lives. For us to be blessed to the full. I love this story about uh, in a Scotland, highlands of Scotland, there was this... Uh, this little restaurant, this little pub that had gone through a renovation process. And in the course of that, after a period of time, it was shut down. Then it was the, the relaunch day, and it had been refurbished and, and all new kind of uh, decor and fresh paint. And the whole village came out 
on this first night of this relaunch of this restaurant in this little village in the highlands of Scotland. And they were just enjoying the evening and the beauty of this refurbished restaurant. And one a, a waitress was walking and she had, a, she had a, her, her hand with all of these things on this plate with the tea and drink and coffee and other things and food. And as she was walking along with this tray, uh, one of those men in that pub in that restaurant was bombastically expressing himself and he threw his arms back like this. And when he did, he, he, his arm fell into this lady and this waitress and that tray went all over the wall. And it just splattered the wall with these dark stains of coffee and tea and everything else was there. And, and it began to run down the wall, but it immediately created a stain there. And, and when the owner heard this noise, he came out to see what had happened and he began through expletives and, and all kind of anger just outburst upon her. And there was a man over in the corner anonymously sitting there who had watched the whole thing happen, seeing that the brunt of his anger was being poured out upon this little waitress who was cowering now in a distance. And, and so he stood up. He was by himself. He stood up. He had a little black bag. He said, hey, hey, to the owner, I can take care of this. Let me, let me handle this. And he goes over to that picture, to that, uh, that stain on the wall. He puts a seat down there. He opens his bag up, and he begins to take some, some chalk out and begin charcoal and begin to kind of around that stain, draw some things. And, and then little by little, he, he takes some paint. And for 15 minutes, they watch in awe as he's beginning to work around that stain with paint. 30 minutes, they're still staring there just at disbelief at what he's doing. Finally, 45 minutes later, sitting there, addressing that stain with the paints, the picture was finished, the monarch of the Glen. That's the picture. We think we have a picture of it. Uh, do we have a picture of the monarch of the Glen? Hello? Hello? There it is. That's the picture. That's what the stain was turned into. Everybody was in awe. It was so much more beautiful than anything they could have ever imagined presenting in that restaurant. The owner was just beside himself with overjoyed that he'd taken the stain and nobody knew it was. He walked out without a word. And they went over there and crashed around the corner where he'd signed it and they realized it was H.R. Uh, Landseer who was one of the most famous artists in Britain who had taken that stain, that mess, and made a masterpiece. And what Jesus says is, if you'll present your life to me, Yes, it's imperfections. Yes, it's, it's difficulties. All of it's ever. It doesn't mean we perfectly. But if you'll just give your life to me, present it to me. Give it to me every day as a living sacrifice. Set it apart for my use. I'll take the mess. Listen, not only does he doesn't work around the stain, he washes the stain away of sin. And he makes us brand new. And he says, every day I will renew you. I will refresh your spirit. I will, by my power, enable you to live a life of surrendered life. If you'll just surrender yourself to me every day, I'll make every day a masterpiece for my glory and your good. Here's what I want us to do is closing. If you'll notice, there's on every seat, there should be this little card. Could you just grab that card? Here's what I want us to be very applicable this morning. I want us to just have this walk through this analogy. As we think about the surrendered life, I want you to see this this morning. It says, you see that? It says, deed of my life. Everybody see that? Deed of my life. Let me just suggest this this morning. What does it mean to present your life as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, and no longer be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind? What does that really mean? Well, the word deed in the noun form means uh, it's a conveyance of ownership. In other words, this is the deed of my life. My name is Hank Williams. If I sign that on my, it's my life. I can do with it what I want. 
It's the deed to my life. And so that's what we tend to do to Jesus. We, we, what our deed of our life looks like is we say, Lord, this is the deed of my life. Now, on our deed that we give to Jesus, what we tend to do, there are two signature lines at the bottom, and we tend to sign one signature line, and then we fill in the blanks. See, it's my, but we put all kind of things and dreams and aspirations and goals and plans and purposes, whether daily or monthly or yearly or our future. We have our whole life scripted there, and then we sign one of the lines, and we slide it across the table to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, would you be a co-signature on my deed? Would you just bless my dreams, my plans? Would you sign off on what I want my life to be? God, if you'll do that, Jesus, if you'll just be a co-signer on everything I want for my life, I'm in. I'm your man. I'm your woman. I'm there for you. Jesus in his love and his grace, he erases all that. And then he slides it back across the table. You see, that word deed, if it's in a verb form, it means a transfer of ownership. It doesn't convey that I own it. And he says, listen, there's only one signature line at the bottom. You see that? Because Jesus said, I've already signed off on your life. I can't do any more than I've already done to sign off on your life. I love you. I've written that in blood. I've shed my blood. I've given my very life. I've sacrificed my life for your life. That you might know me, have the forgiveness of sin, have eternal life in me, an abundant life in me, that you might know my plan. I could never do anything more than has already been done. I have said I love you like nobody else in all the universe ever could or ever will. So I don't need to sign anything. I signed on your life when I created you. I have a plan. I have a purpose for you. But Jesus says... What it means to present your life to me in surrender is to say, he says, sign that dotted line. Sign that signature line at the bottom, but leave it blank. Let me be the author. Let me be the painter. Let me be the creator. Let me write the script. Let me write the story of your life. Here's what it looks like. It means literally that we give the deed of our life. We convey the ownership of our lives to Jesus, and we sign off on whatever he wants. Here's what we say, whatever. Whatever you want me to do. Are you willing to say with the deed of your life, convey that ownership to Jesus this morning and say, Jesus, I trust you implicitly and explicitly. Whatever you want me to do. No limitations, no boundaries, whatever. You write it in there. I submit, I surrender to that. It not only means whatever, it means whenever. It means that we don't live on, we live on his timeline, on the Spirit's leading. So that when you're at school tomorrow, you work tomorrow, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, share, share me with someone. Or serve that person. We say, I'm on your timeline. Whatever you want me to do, whenever you want me to do it, Lord. You tell me when, and that moment, I'm going to respond. It not only means whatever, whenever. Listen, it means wherever. Conveying the deed of your life over to Jesus means a blank slate where he draws on the canvas the story for your life as he has scripted it for you, that good and acceptable and complete will, and it means wherever. Now, look, some I've lost you there because you say, man, Lord, I, I want to follow you. God, I want to do whatever you want me to do. As long as this little dot on the map calls Bowling Springs. As long as it doesn't mean I've got to go out of this place and, and beyond these barriers, boundaries, and I've got to go some other part of the world or do something. Listen, maybe God is placing his hand upon some people here to answer the call into Christian service as a missionary, to serve the Lord in ministry, calling out the call. He's called all of us to serve him. 
And he's saying, wherever that is. You see, that's what it means to present your life, to present your body and your mind to Jesus every day is to say, I'm giving you the blank slate of my life, signed off on, deed, conveyed, you're the owner. I just surrender myself to your will. The video a little bit short this morning on purpose because we don't have the deed paper and they're doing a very specific application for their community. But in our community, we still struggle with the same thing. God, I wanna follow you, but I wanna follow you this much. I wanna follow you in this place. I'll follow you in these parameters. I will surrender to this point. So this morning, as we move into a time of worship, the only appropriate way for us to respond is to take a moment and transfer from just listening to God's word presented to asking God, what does this word mean for us here in this place? And what does this word mean for me sitting in this seat? Maybe you were sitting there during that message and you were thinking, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know that thing that I haven't surrendered. Oftentimes, it's that one, like, as soon as the pastor starts preaching, oftentimes I know exactly what the thing is. It's on my mind the whole time. Maybe you need to take some time and pray. Maybe you felt tension, you felt challenged during this message, and you just need to take some time and ask the Lord, what is that thing that I'm holding back? And allow the Holy Spirit to kind of show you a mirror. Because if we trust that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect, then that means we trust and obey his will. If we trust the parachute catches us, we jump out of the airplane. If we don't trust, we stay in the plane. So if we trust he's good, then we follow his will. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I want to, but I'm not fully convinced that Jesus is good. Then here's what I wanna invite you to do. While we're worshiping or before we leave, come talk to me. Come talk to Phil, come talk to somebody on the staff. There are so many stories in this room. If we were to just sit here, like Hank said at the beginning, if we were to just sit here and tell stories of times where God's will didn't make sense, but it proved good, we could talk all day. My wife and I, we've been reminiscing over the last couple weeks and this conversation's come up multiple times about how the last like four years of our lives have looked nothing like we would have ever planned it. I mean, if someone would have told me this was the plan, then I would have opted out. <laughs> but now that I'm here, God is so good. And it is pleasing and perfect and acceptable because it is God's will and he is good. So as we worship this morning, let's take a moment to choose surrender. And if you need to be reminded, if you just need a story that's gonna help you believe that he actually is good, turn to your neighbor, turn to someone around you. There is a cloud of witnesses here and throughout church history affirming he is good, his will is good, his ways are good, and you actually can trust him. You actually can trust him. Here in Greenville, Everywhere you go and whatever he's calling you to, you can trust him. Jesus, 
as we worship, show us our hearts in the good and gentle, faithful way that you do. Show us the place that we're missing out on your goodness because we haven't trusted you yet. And give us the courage to trust you and receive every bit of goodness that you have for us, God. Maybe you need to sit in your seat. You don't have deeds for you to write on. Maybe you need to pull out your phone as we worship and you just need to stay seated and you just need to write those things down. Yeah, I've got a friend. I just feel like I should share this story. I've got a friend from India and the passion that God's given him in his life, his dream is to travel to the Middle East and share Jesus to ISIS. That doesn't seem good to me. <laughs> Can I just be real? That sounds terrifying and uncomfortable. But when he talks about it, his eyes light up like he won the lottery because he's following the will that God's given him. And good is about obedience to God. Good is about faithfulness to God. And you can trust that God might, God's probably not gonna call you to go share the gospel with ISIS. But if he does, it's gonna make your eyes light up and your heart sing because it's good, pleasing, Always trust God's will for your life. Let's worship together.